I also um, wanted to talk about the winter of, of our lives. The biggest for me was the memory play. I, I ask all of you, I mean, get to a certain age and memories flood back. You don't yes. know when or where. Grief which turns, you know, you're just walking down the street and see something or feel something and that comes out. And so that's what I was dealing with. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, a group of lifelong steadfast friends reunite in director Linda Yellen's drama, Chantilly Bridge. Set 25 years after her groundbreaking Sundance hit, Chantilly Lace, Yellen's film brings back the same actresses for a story that traverses both films as a group of old friends deal with trials and tribulations in their lives. In addition to Chantilly Bridge and Chantilly Lace, Yellen's other directorial credits include the feature films Fluidity, The Last Film Festival, and The Simeon Line, and the movies for television William and Catherine, A Royal Romance, Northern Lights, and End of Summer. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in New York, Yellen spoke with director Mary Heron about filming Chantilly Bridge. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Good evening. Um, so, congratulations, Linda, on your wonderful film. Thank you, Mary. Appreciate it. And um, and on reuniting these um, amazing actors. Um, when you when you first when you made Chantilly Lace, did 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 you ever cross your mind that you would do a sequel? Um, not at the time. It was so much work. Um, but uh, and we all went on to other things. When we did it, I should tell you that we were either one side or the other of 40, the oldest of us, and we thought it would never work again. And then <laughs> the film opened up so many fabulous opportunities that, mm. you know, the next years went by quickly. Um, mm. We were so proud of it. Uh, I would say maybe 10 years into after, you know, we did other in that genre, but never mm. the same group of women. And we started talking about it, but Showtime had the rights for 27 years. Oh, my gosh. So it really, um, when it became available is when we decided to dive into it because it was very important to me to use the old footage as a memory piece. And uh, uh, Yes, that's one of the most effective things is seeing all these people as they, as they were, you know. Um, so Showtime would not have allowed you to use that footage. Right. Oh, my. Okay. So you had a, lo a long way. But in a way, I suppose... It, such a long passage of time made for a very dramatic film. It, it did. And also the location. Um, uh, I had uh, my producer who's back there, uh, Dana Kiefer, lives up there. And I'd only been up there in summer. <laughs> so I wasn't quite sure what we were getting into with winter. She told me and warned us, but we were a lot of 20 degree. Uh, oh, yeah. Where, where were you shooting? Minus Actually, 23 um, in Henderson, New York, on the border of Canada. Oh, my. Um, tell me about your, your rehearsal process and filming process, because I know uh, that the first film, Chantelle Lace, had a lot of 
if that if that's is if that is true, had a lot of improv. Yes, that you that's let true. the actors and you even let the actors decide certain plot points. Is that right? Well, or the universe. If the universe. You will. Sometimes we drew straws and decided <laughs> that way. Actually, it was a sort of almost a spiritual experience as, uh, as well as an experimental experience too. Of, of the very when the you first one. in the first yes. one, yes, and 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 actually this one too. I would say uh, two of my stars, uh, Lindsay Krauss and Patricia Richardson, are in the back. And what do you guys think? It, was it a spiritual? Yeah. And tell me, like, how, uh, how many weeks of rehearsal then, when you when you got together, you know, did you have um, you had a script or you had like an outline that these things are happening? These are excellent questions. Um, it, it, don't be too well. Be surprised by the answer because it's different for me too. I, I've made twenty five films, and five I made in a similar way. Uh, Chantilly Lace, which was the original, was, let's say, the most developmentally unique in that we didn't really know, have any idea. It was more open-ended. And over time, um, my writing partner and I have developed more and more of a script and a more solid structure to it. But still, it's, it's the women and their contributions. And these things are done, um, low budget, um, while we're waiting for big studio projects to come together mm -hmm. and all of us in the DGA know what that's like um, and we want to work and do good work and um, this was um, Mary and I are both on the executive council um, of the DGA I'm very proud of it <laughs> and it, it would never have happened if it weren't for the experimental contract part of, of the DGA that allowed us to to do something like this you know so uh these actresses still had very, very busy lives. And most of the so-called rehearsal were really telephone conversations mm. or Zoom conversations prior to filming. Mm -hmm. And uh, then um, there, when we got together, there were situations and we had, uh, you know, a number of pages. Some scenes were totally scripted mm -hmm. and some scenes were totally not. And what I like to do is to search for kernels of truth and not tell the actors everything that's going to happen. Just the people that need to know what's going to happen. Oh, can you give it. an example of, of what? Yeah, well, I don't think anybody knew except Jill that Jill was going to go over to uh, Patricia Richardson and, uh, uh, you know, think that she was Joe Beth Williams. So, and to capture the original, you know, response, which was so awesome. Mm -hmm. And then such wonderfully trained actors, and you can only do this with very trained actors, to go back and refine the scene and have them do it again and again. Oh, so, so you had one take where they really didn't know what she was going to do. And right. you had said to, to, uh, to her, you're going to go up and say it. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it is—it's the most kind of shocking moment. Actually, I was going to ask you about that moment. We feel—you feel like she's losing her memory, or that—that that it is the first sign of something quite serious, right? Or maybe she's taking too many pills, or drinking, or whatnot. Um, I'm pleased seeing the film again in this wonderful, by the way, this wonderful setting, and and, and the screening room is so fabulous. We don't always get the chance. We we were stomping with the film in California and had a number of screenings, and it's not like this, I can tell you. <laughs> but seeing it this way, 
I was, again, um, remembered how much I loved the landscape of human faces. And too often, big screens are used, at, you know, the domain of action pictures. And, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and it was just wonderful to sort of, uh, I don't know, focus in on, on the people, see it that large and not just on a TV screen. Did you guys feel that way? I don't know. Great. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a wonderful moment, and then it, they so it, you had the moment of her saying it, and then you went back and and recreated the reactions that you'd got in the first take. Is that what what happened? That's mm -hmm. and it refined also, you know, Jill's performance. I mean, that's what it's all about. So it's a lot about um, sort of seizing the moment, and um, uh, most of the filming was done in seven days. Only yeah. seven days. Oh, yeah. my goodness. And, and then the refining, um, uh, well, we were also dealing with all of us were with COVID. Mm -hmm. there, you know, it was a long gestation period. And we even, the scenes uh, with Ali Sheedy, there was a larger subplot that had been written for Ali. Um, and because of COVID, we just couldn't do it. We had studio time and everything that never happened. Mm -hmm. So sh those scenes were done remotely. Uh, she was sent a little camera package to put on her computer. And uh, I was a little skeptical if this could work. And mm -hmm. the cinematographer was upstate New York and I was in Greenwich Village and she was uptown. And Jill was feeding her lines from Connecticut. <laughs> and we did everything in an hour. So it was, it was a remarkable. And then she packed up the box and <laughs> like a FedEx box. And that was how we got the scene. So, so initially she was going to be in the house, you know, on um, she, with the other. She was a, a sub. Yes. And, and there was also a subplot of her personal life developing um, here in Manhattan that we couldn't do. Okay. Um, I was going to ask you about that, um, that last moment, um, um, Natalie's voiceover at the end where she says, um, you know, Val was the first to go. And I was wondering, because I know, and so I've read, you know, that in your initial, in, in the first film, is that the one where you, they drew straws to yes. decide? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> was that a surprise when it was? Oh, it was, it was an incredible moment. We, we even filmed it, um, because, uh, <laughs> Lindsay here let out the biggest shriek. So we all turned to Lindsay, was sure that she had drawn the short straw and was going to be the one to die. And it was just a shriek of kind of relief, I guess, at the time. <laughs> um, and uh, I had set up a camera um, on, uh, I should tell you, the first film was shot in Sundance. And Robert Redford gave me this extraordinary experience to be part of the director's workshop, but it was never intended to be filmed. And 30 years ago, we didn't have, you know, an ease to, to shoot anyway. Uh, and a friend of mine who was a cinematographer's agent said, you can't go up with all that talent and not capture it. So with her help, we arranged for a crew. We were the only one. They were like five or six different directors working with talent. And, and they saw us coming with this equipment, you know. So in this particular moment, once the straw was uh, drawn, uh, we ha had a car waiting and we're all the equipment on it. And we drove uh, Jo Beth Williams up the hill to film her scene. 
And uh, it was so emotional. In the time we'd been together, we'd all gotten so close and tight because we were filming day and night and that um, I, I just, I couldn't direct. I mean, it was just sobbing. It was not coming out of my mouth and nose and just, and she was laughing. She's such a pro, but she did it. She did the scene. And then her husband said, well, I guess you can come home early because you're done. You're not in the third act. And she said, no, I want to see how they react. So there's a balcony <laughs> to the to the a scene where they find out and she got to see. And and this is film filled with similar moments uh, like that. I, I think um, uh, it has definitely affected the way I do my scripted material to be able to give a certain freedom to the actors if we're not doing Shakespeare or something where every word has to be exactly as it's meant to be, it's just wonderful freedom to experiment with. Do you use that at all? Do you use improvisation? I did on my first film, but then I sort of let it go too far. Um, it depends. It depends on the material. Sometimes, um, sometimes if it's based on a novel or something, I would, I would like, okay, the, 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 this is the, the book. And then, um, Oh, when I did this film, Charlie says, um, Matt Smith uh, improvised almost all his dialogue because <laughs> Charles Matson just speaks gibberish. And he just, I said, just go, just improvise. And that was fun. That made, I, I, I you know, when it works, I think it's really exciting and, and keeps everybody and very alive. We had just a few days ago, there was a, a retrospective of, of uh, four of my films uh, where I use this technique. And uh, we showed scenes after and asked the audience to guess which was improvised and which wasn't. And, and they were wrong. <laughs> it was just so <laughs> funny to see. It was about a 50% accuracy mm. rate, which since you only had two choices, it was pretty, um, you know, not that great. Um, I did, I forgot, did, did never find out. Well, um, did you uh, draw straws to find, uh, decide that Val was be the first to die or no, 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 that, that was, was my, you know, the interesting thing about this too, as a writer, um, is that you write so much of it before, and then you find the, um, actors take you in a different mm -hmm. direction. Um, and then you sort of adjust every night. There's a, uh, you know, a, middle of the night conference the writers how how do, do we change it do we keep it on the same path and then in the editing room you find things and you rewrite and rewrite so mm -hmm. like in the last film uh uh the first rather the first one the chantilly lace uh we found little lines throughout the movie that were meaningful to could suggest that she was going to die and we would have found those same lines I believe if any of the other characters had died in this one, similarly, as I watch it, you know, you've watched it for the first time, but I see all these signs that she's coming down with Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, and we worked hard to weave those in. So if you were to see it a second time, you'd go, oh, something's up. Yeah. I think. I love the thing with the coffee can of ashes because actually I had something quite similar where like, oh my no, God, oh my God. have you? I, have I lost them? Can I get some other ashes and pretend that, they, you know, <laughs> don't, don't ask, don't ask. It's, this, these stories should be kept hidden. Um, but, um, but it all struck home. Um, 
it was interesting when you talk about, you know, women um, of a certain age feeling discarded or being discarded by the industry. Um, do, do you feel that it's it's better? Because when you look back at the you know original film, and to me, these are young women, you know, young women of 40. Um, do you feel that there's more respect and that it's changed somewhat, that there's a positive... Um, In the industry? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't really. Uh, do you guys, what do you think? No. 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 <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I think uh, there's respect among peers and there's respect mm -hmm. among people who can relate to your work, I, I think, but in general. Um, do you? What do you think? You know, I, do, I, I, I try and ignore it. I just try and pretend I'm, I'm you know, 30 or something. I just I decided, I just shut it. I just decided there's nothing I can do about it, so I'm going to shut it out mm -hmm. and act as if it doesn't exist, which is denial. But it's, it's like that's up to me, you know, to try and proceed forward with as much hope as I can. Well, I <laughs> it's also, I think it's ridiculous, the idea that, that you know, a director, you know, has to be a certain age. or It's very American, too. You know, lots of great of my favorite movies were done by elderly men, you know, or women. So <laughs> keeping forward. I, I think uh, uh, age um, sharpens one's ability to uh, bring in historical reference which I think is deepens films. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm when given the opportunity, and, and, and this work yeah. for me certainly was that. I think it is very hard for for actors. Actually, it's hardest for them to get really great parts. I think that that I do feel, and I think that there's a a great. This is why this film is exciting because there is a great lack of great roles, great ensembles. Um, where I think you tell me what you think, uh, my my fellow DGA people. You know, I think this film stands alone. You didn't need to see the first. I mean, I don't know how you guys felt to have seen it for the first time. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we, a group of us, recently got to see the first, as I indicated, and it um, is for me the favorite thing about seeing the first is the uh, actors inherited characters that they had to play that already were established in the first, and the first was a very beloved film. But 30 years, or in the script, it's in the movie it's 25 because we wanted the character of the young Natalie, the girl, not to be older than 25, so she could really still, you know, have a certain arrogance and and um, lack of wisdom and then learn and come to respect the older women as she does but what my actresses my group of actresses did with the changes to their lives that they invented for their characters with me um, but mostly it's them after 30 years is really wondrous to to behold and to see and then uh, Patricia Richardson here who uh, had to come into had to step into this group who you know, had been so bonded by the first as kind of the outsider. That was an emotional experience that I think probably was pretty powerful and, and, and hard. I mean, 
I wanted to ask you, when the, the idea first you really solidified that you would make this, this sequel, this, this child of Chantilly Lace, um, and you were started thinking about it in your mind as you're wandering around, you know, percolating. What were the most important things for you that you wanted the new film to get across? What new ideas? Um, well, uh, Mary, I have, even in this audience, I have... Uh, uh, a very close group of friends. I see that from New York, I call my New York friends. And then I have some of my Barnard College friends I see here. And, uh, you know, and my professional friends and my Liz Smith friends. That's a lot. And, and friendship is very important to me and, and enduring friendship. Um, so that was a theme, uh, I wanted to explore. Um, I also, um, wanted to, uh, talk about the winter of, of our lives and, and what that's like. And, and that's why it was so appropriate to, to film up in Henderson in winter. What a beautiful location, wasn't it? Just, uh, breathtaking to reflect that. And, um, in fact, there was, as we were discussing making it, we all had decided, the women and myself, that we were going to make it. And there was a big debate. Oh, do we have to do it in winter? Can we just go back to summer? And, you know, <laughs> and the answer was, well, this concept of winter of our lives. And I am the director and the other part of it. We may not be alive in the end. So, so we better do it. So that's how, that's how that, that was a, a big part of it. Um, but. The biggest for me, um, and that's why we waited so long to, to get the rights and to be able to use the footage was the memory play. I, I ask all of you, I mean, get to a certain age and memories flood back. You don't yes. know when or where grief which turns, you know, you're just walking down the street and see something or feel something and that comes out. And so that's what I was dealing with yeah. as a story. Does anyone else have? Oh, thank you so much for asking it. Well, <laughs> we're like the little engine that could, you know, from a film that you know didn't know if it could finish because of COVID and having such a short sh shooting schedule and experimental. Um, we uh, played uh, South by um, last year. Um, and then we uh, will purchase, we got an agent out of that. And then the agent got us uh, five offers and recommended what he thought was the best, this company Quiver, um, that you saw at the beginning that maybe suggested that you were going to see an action film or something. <laughs> so sorry to disappoint you. Um, and, uh, the movie is opening. Please, if you enjoyed it, tell your friends. It's gotten a limited run around the country. It opens. Um, on the set, April 7th for one week, uh, at, uh, the Angelica Village East on 2nd Avenue and 12th Street. And thank you. And, and if we can get 300 people to come the first weekend, then they'll be picked up for another week and another week. That's the world of, uh, sort of independent films. Then it goes VOD, Video on Demand, uh, April 14th. And then after that, it's going to be, you know, what we see so far, the reviews have been really wonderful and thoughtful and, and all you could ask for. Oh, that's all. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
Well, um, uh, I, I, I see one of my Barnard friends there, and we were going to Judy Collins' concerts when we were in school, and we just adored her. And as I was editing this, and it was a very, very long and drawn out and difficult editing process because of COVID and editing um, remotely, um, I was listening to her music and realized how well her voice would be for this movie, almost like, uh, you know, the, the eighth character for, of, of these women. And um, I didn't know her at all. And uh, I couldn't say we've loved you always going to, you know, my friend and I always went to see your concerts. I didn't do that. But I, I, lo and behold, she knew my films. And she saw a rough cut of it and just loved it and came on board. She's just wonderful experience. And she did something she doesn't normally do, and she loves it. Uh, Pat Seymour who was the composer who did the non-vocal pieces, of course, tying everything together, has been with me since the very first film 30 years ago as my composer. And he got her to riff around uh, a, a, a bunch, uh, like, so you hear uh, Scarborough Fair, but you hear various versions that are almost ghostly, that sort of waft through the movie. And she was, she'd never done that. And she was so excited about it and really went with it. So thank you for noticing. I'll, I'll tell her. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Um, it's uh, Chantilly Lace, the first one, is not up, uh, you know, in any marketplace yet. But since we have acquired the rights and people have been um, uh, very interested in, in acquiring it. So I don't know that the timing will happen perfectly with this release, but it will be getting out there again soon. So thank you for asking about that. Um, well, oh, oh, I would say only um, Samantha Mathis, who'd been in one of my other um, uh, movies uh, that uh, called Simeon Line, which which is rentable, and I suggest it was a fabulous cast of um, uh, Lynn Redgrave and William Hurt and um, uh, just an, uh, Cindy Crawford, a very unusual, eclectic cast. Um, Samantha was going to play her new girlfriend, and they were going to be more, uh, and, and, and the Jill Eikenberry character was coming into the city, and some of her friends would coming down into the city with her. We also, um, uh, Jenna Rollins was going to play the mother. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, COVID, oh. you know, so it, it's a very different, but but I don't know, I, I, I feel maybe because we knew that, the actors and myself, whatever, I feel that Ruth breathes mm. um, between the what, I don't know. What do you think? Do you feel her? And uh, that uh, interesting footnote, that fabulous, we, we couldn't, I didn't want to put a picture of Jenna Rollins. Everyone says, what, that's your mother? You know, <laughs> that would open up a, a can of worms. But that happens to be, is it your grandmother? Yes, it's Patricia Richardson's grandmother. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Well, I'm sure maybe there'll be another film, another film with Jenna. <laughs> Absolutely, wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> Good luck. Yeah.
Um, well, it has been um, such a, a, a treat. Uh, thank, privilege thank you, Mary. It's, it's such an honor to have you be my moderator. I uh, <laughs> just admired your work so so long. Thank you. Well, there aren't to too many of us of this age, right? That are still yeah. working. And, yeah, uh, no, I know. Yeah, so yeah. we're proud that I yes. wanted I wanted a very strong <laughs> woman director to be my moderator. There should be. There should be. I mean, you. they're out there. They're just not, you know, they're not. There are not always the projects, but we, we fight on. Votes so against not. the current. Right. Thank you all Thank so you. much. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America.